Hello, and welcome again to the Let's Do a Crime podcast. I'm Ryan, he, him. And I'm Mouse, they, them. I have been in emergency services, including law enforcement, for the last 10 years, but not as a police officer. And I'm an artist. I work predominantly in ink and watercolor. And uh, we share a microphone to record this podcast. And because I'm so much quieter than Ryan is, it is basically a foot away from my face. It's much closer to Mouse than it is to me. Yeah. <laughs> Mouse, what have you heard about the Killdozer incident? Nothing. Nothing. Not another thing. Well, the, the popular retelling of the story was, story was of a man pushed too far. It was, he was even featured on Badass of the Week. Wait. Wait, was this that guy who, like, built the the bulldozer the bulldozer and then like went through the town or yes something? that's this is the incident oh okay i do kind of know about this one not a lot though yeah so you've probably heard like narrative that he's like he's like a good man pushed too far by like a corrupt town government or whatever he's something like that so he was featured on bass of the week uh car Thrall called him a good uh, man pushed too far pretty much every mainstream article about this guy has painted him in like, a very positive light uh in the town in a very negative light so, the title of this episode is Killdozer Guy Was an Asshole.txt. So, okay. full disclosure, I've, I've picked a narrative here. Mm-hmm. It is contrary to everyone else's narrative, but I have good reasons for this. You're going to say something controversial yet brave. Yes. And honestly, we stand there. Honestly, I am so brave. <laughs> I'm so brave right now. Yeah, you're really doing the Lord's work right here. Speaking of being brave, uh-huh. um, the cat's on the table. I'm leaving that one in. <laughs> So, being serious for a second, there is a trigger warning for this episode. Okay. Suicide, attempted murder. Okay. And this isn't really a trigger warning, but if you've dealt with small town governments, this is a trigger warning. Small town governments. Okay. So, legit, there is there is some heavy stuff more near the end of this. Okay. Um, as an aside, though, if someone who's listening does deal with suicidal ideation or has attempted in the past or is worried about attempting, please contact your local suicide prevention hotline. Yes. And don't murder if you are someone who has considered doing a murder. Unfortunately, there's no hotline for that. Uh, well, I mean, it's the police. Except for the police. <laughs> but even then. Uh, your experience with police may vary. So, the, the popular telling of the story goes that he ran a humble muffler repair shop. But there's a concrete plant being built next door that would block access to his property and put him out of business. Mm-hmm. He protested against this in zoning meetings... Corrupt town official sided against him, ensured the construction would continue, and hit him with a bunch of fines. After years of fighting to protect his business, he eventually went out went out of business and lost the fight. He spends what's left of his money to build a to armor a bulldozer and plan his revenge. On June 4th, 2004, he sealed himself inside of it, proceeded to bulldoze a concrete plant and the buildings and businesses owned by those in council who wronged him. Yeah, so his name was Marvin Hemayer. He pretty much pre- uh, instantly became an internet legend. Like, mm-hmm. I was just barely old enough to, like, kind of understand what's going on. Because this is 2004, so I would have been 14 or 15. <laughs> and I was a baby. <laughs> yeah. And so he became an immediate internet legend. And pretty much everyone had this this attitude right away that he was a hero. Uh, he No one was killed except for him. He was praised for trying not to hurt anyone. Even the Wikipedia article, while it doesn't directly praise him does seem skewed in his favor it mm-hmm. it leaves us the specifics of the dispute that led to this and okay. pretty much only focused on pretty much the popular narrative oh so you mean all of these places that have reported on this incident have biases 
Well, who would have thought? Who would have thought ethics in journalism? That's a myth. I will also say, this is 2004, so like, this is a couple years after 9-11, kind of the fervor of 9-11 has, has tapered down a little bit, and now people are getting suspicious of the government for like, mm-hmm. all the various restrictions that were starting to come in. So, kind of makes sense, because there was a pretty heavy anti-government sentiment in the public at this time. Yeah. As there is now, again. Well, especially since the response to 9-11 was, let's go to war. Despite many people being like, we shouldn't go to war, actually. Yeah, so that's the, that's the political climate this is in right now. Yeah. But of course, there's a lot more to the story than that. Oh yeah, all stories have new on us. Would it surprise you to learn that the town made largely reasonable demands of Heemeyer, and that he felt the reason why he didn't have a wife or children is because God wanted him to destroy the town? Oh, you know, that does surprise me. That, that's that, very surprising. That last part actually did surprise me. Because I, I kind of figured he was, like, a bit of an ass, given that he demolished a town. Yeah, that's not usually somebody's immediate thought to losing their business. Yeah. So here's some backstory. This all started back as far as 1992. So this is not, like, this wasn't, like, a couple-year thing. This was, like, a decades-long thing. Okay. Uh, he may have purchased two acres of land at auction for $42,000. Uh, Susie and Cody uh, Dochef also purchased land in the area to build a concrete plant. Okay. So both the concrete plant and his business, like they bought the land at the same time. Okay. Uh, the Dochefs approached Heemayer about buying his parcel as well, and initially he made a verbal agreement to sell it to them for two hundred fifty thousand dollars. So if he would have sold at that time, he would have made a huge profit immediately. Yeah. They later increased the uh, later he increased the price, and the Dochefs backed out. Uh, apparently the. Every time he talked to them, the price went up, and it oh and eventually God. got over a million dollars, so obviously they backed out. They were able to buy another partial parcel of land adjacent to the one they already owned instead. Mm-hmm. His was still better for what they want to do, so initially they offered to trade their new land for the land he still had. Yeah. Initially he agreed, but then backed out again, also insisting that they build him a new building. Okay. Which they noted that this would have also been over a million dollars, so it would have basically been the same deal. So it sounds like his initial response is very reasonable, but then he like sits on it and becomes increasingly unreasonable. Yeah. So at this point, he began opposing the concrete plant. At the, like before this point, he never opposed them building a concrete plant and right. even seemed kind of on board with it, given that he was going to sell them. Yeah. But once these deals fell through is when he started opposing them. Well, yeah, because he was like, actually, if they're willing to pay this much, maybe they'll pay more. And then when they wouldn't, he was like, well, fuck you. Yeah, so Hemer also stopped negotiating at this point. And I did find more information on this, which is a little bit more flimsy. I, like, this is stuff I could confirm that, that all parties agreed was true. Mm-hmm. Uh, it looked like the land that was purchased at auction was originally belonging to the Dochefs. Like, they apparently they owned all the land in the area and okay. lost it in some sort of, like, legal dispute, probably, like, payments or taxes or something. And the auction he bought his land at and that they bought was the auction for that land that they lost... And so they were trying to buy it back. Okay. So like that, it's kind of where that starts. And then like, so his, his shop didn't exist yet at this time. Uh, I guess he did have like other exhaust businesses before this. So Heemeyer built his shop. He never had the required sewage hookups that the town would have required. Like when you build a building, you need to have a septic system, right? Yeah. Like there are building requirements that are in place for a reason. It's to keep everything safe. Yeah, and already the town, like, back in 1992, was already telling him, it's like, you need to deal with this. Mm-hmm. He ended up using a buried steel tank, not a septic tank, just a big steel drum for his sewage. Gross. Ew. Which predictably just filled up. Yeah, that's disgusting. 
thing. Yeah. Uh, he had two options for hookup. So his first option was to hook to the town sewage system, which, because he was downhill for most of it, would require what's called a lift station, which is basically like a fancy pump to pump the sewage up to the level of the rest of the town. Right. Which would have been a very expensive option. Mm-hmm. Or he could have installed a septic system. Like, he could have done that as well. He had enough land to, to run a septic field, so that would have been appropriate. I guess both options were too expensive for him, so he just didn't do it. And this is keeping in mind, he still probably could have sold that property to them for the $250,000. Yeah. That's like, what they're willing to pay. If he really wanted to have his business, a smart thing to me would have been to sell the land that he had purchased at a profit and then used that money to buy another parcel of land to open his business on because then he would have already had a huge chunk of change to kind of go into it with. So this is this is pure speculation. But I think his land purchase was more about getting the money from selling it again than about his business. Because mm-hmm. according to locals... He only ran his business two or three days a week. He wasn't there every day. Oh, okay. And then uh, this is fully anecdote. Some people were saying that he was kind of an ass about it. Yeah. Uh, but there was also just as many anecdotes saying that like he he was good at his job and that he did a good job on on their exhaust systems. Um, I left a lot of eyewitness statements out here because they're kind of hearsay. Yeah. And it sounds like both him and Cody Dochev were pretty hot headed. So they probably were personally feuding as well. Yeah. But all I could find from that was like one-off statements, anecdotes with not much uh, corroborating it. So I left all of that out. So at the core, this was still about like the land sale. Yeah. Well, also like depending on who interacted with him, he could have been an absolute angel or the worst person in the world. Yeah. We don't know because people are different depending on who they're interacting with. So in... In the 90s, like, all this fight's going on, and by the early 2000s, the, the concrete plant got built. The Dochefs built a lift station for their property, so, like, they also had the same problem, where they had to hook up sewage, they had to run a lift station. Yeah. Their, theirs was too big to use a septic system, because his was a single-person shop, town would let them do a septic system. Theirs was a concrete plant, so too big to rely on that. Yeah. So they, and they initially um, built a lift station, and... They approached him with a deal to let him hooked up to their lift station in exchange for him to stop opposing, like, their development, drop all his lawsuits. And basically, like, initially the the town was very lax about the enforcement of of his septic situation. Right, because he's a one-person shop. Yeah, he went basically 10 years before they started fining him for it. Which is a really good amount of time. Yeah. And in that amount of time, even if the septic system was expensive, he should have been able to have made the money to install the septic system. That should have been like something he invested in immediately. Yeah. So his fight against it, like obviously he was going to town hall meetings. Initially he had a lot of townspeople on his side to post his concrete plant because he made a bunch of legitimate arguments. Yeah. But as time went on, what ended up happening is that the, the concrete plant agreed to provisions by city council and most of the support he had went away because most of the actual problems are getting solved yeah so he did some good because like all the problems of this plant got solved pretty quickly because they had to agree to these concessions before they could build and so he started filing lawsuits against them he called the epa to try to get the plant shut down the environmental protection agency he would call so frequently they began screening his calls oh my god so the epa was even getting irritated with them and like all of his problems would have been solved if he just did what they asked yeah so he just started throwing everything he could to, to stall this and so that's when council started like actually hitting him with with fines and stuff yeah. like that 
Well, especially since from, from what it sounds like so far, they only asked him to do one thing, which was install the septic system. Yeah. That's there, it. There's a couple other little things you got to find for, too, but they were pretty minor. Like, he, he had a bunch of junk on his property that, like, it was yeah. against their, like, unsightly property laws. Like, that's typical small town stuff. Yeah, and that also sounds like stuff that they kind of, like, slapped him with because he was being disagreeable. Yeah, mo most likely. Yeah. And so he eventually sold the property in November of 2003 for $400,000. Mm -hmm. The new owners hooked up the, the sewage on their own dime and even let him keep working out of, the articles call it a large shed on the property. They let him keep that and keep working out of it, even though he didn't own it anymore. Okay, so like, what was the issue? And now the, the, the articles say large shed, but I've just seen photos of it. It was, like, it was a workshop. Like, mm -hmm. he had a proper workshop. And this is where he built the killdozer. Yeah, I mean, some, some workshops just be out here looking like a shed and that's okay. <laughs> so, so in the six months from when he sold his shop to when he demolished the town is when he built the killdozer. So you may notice I never mentioned anywhere in his fight about his property being blocked, which is the story that everyone has that no one could access his property. Yeah. That's because of whatever it was. And it was never, that was never the problem. The concrete plant did believe one road to, it did, it did block one road to his property. But it was kind of a back road, and it wasn't like an official town road. Okay. Uh, the main town road to his property was never blocked. Okay, so, so then what was the issue? He could still come and go freely. Well, he he was trying to argue that they were encroaching on his easement, which is like a, an area of property that you're not allowed to develop so you can like access stuff. But, but they weren't. If it's a back road that like connects directly between the two businesses, as a private business, they have every right to do that. Yeah, I think the reason why everyone latched on this so much is because the... The Google image maps from the time don't show the roads very well because okay, it's, it's a small town. And it was the last <laughs> argument he was making to try to stop the concrete plant before it just got approved. Yeah. And then because right after that is when he sold his, his shop, like, I think most news agencies kind of just interpreted that as, like, he had to sell. Right. Even though he made massive amounts of money. And the, the group that bought his shop didn't have to have a road built. So but if they had done like two seconds of investigative journalism instead of relying on images from Google Maps in 2004, yeah. they would have realized that that's not the case. Yeah. Well, I don't know if it would be Google Maps in 2004, but like whatever, like I found, I found, I found like satellite maps and yeah, they weren't, yeah. they weren't good. They were really low resolution. Yeah. Because it was 2004. Yeah. So let's talk about the bulldozer. Okay. So the killdozer. Yeah, the the bulldozer itself was a Komatsu D55A. I have no idea what that is. You don't either. No, it's I a definitely big, do not. It's a big bulldozer. It's your it's your stereotypical. It's got tracks. It's a big metal thing with a big shovel in the front. Yeah, for yeah. those re or, well, for those listening, um, Ryan is a car guy and I am car blind, so. All of those numbers and letters meant absolutely nothing to me. I mean, this is not a car, so it's... <laughs> it's a vehicle. Yeah, but... Uh, it's, a, it's a device that you drive. So, I, like, obviously you can look up pictures of it. It's, it's, there's pictures of it everywhere. Yeah. The armor was a foot thick. Oh, it was, good. It was concrete uh, sandwiched between two layers of half-inch thick steel. Do you think he stole the concrete from the concrete plant? Uh, probably not. He had a lot of money. Uh, like, like, he had money before this all began. Of course, he sold his property for $400,000. So if he had a lot of money, why did he not just install the sewage system? And even after that, like, when they had the sewage system installed on their own dime, what was the problem? Well, also, like, 
even if it was he was being petty about it and stuff like that, after selling the shop for four hundred grand, given the area he was in and the time this was happening in, he probably had enough money to move someplace else and start up again. This almost sounds like somebody who just like, like I obviously can't diagnose anybody with anything, but to me it sounds like someone who is really petty and fixates on any perceived slight. That's entirely possible. It was hard finding information about any backstory because this is like news archives online usually only go back to the 2000s and and this is small town politics so most of it weren't hit the news anyway. Yeah. But uh, Well also if it's like small town stuff I highly doubt that any like mental illness that may have been something that he suffered from or that like his family had would have been properly documented. Yeah. But back to the the vehicle Mm -hmm. the concrete century two layers of happiness like steel for perspective... You, you might want to repeat that. No, so it's concrete sandwiched between two layers of half-inch thick steel. Okay. The, for perspective, a half-inch thick of steel will stop most bullets. Okay. Like, even heavy rifles won't be able to penetrate that. You would need, like, military-grade, really heavy hardware. Mm-hmm. And so you got two layers of that plus the concrete. Like, this thing was explosion-proof. Yeah, like, did he think they were going to throw bombs at him? I mean, <laughs> they, they, they were. Like, what else did he do? I mean, they, they probably only did that because of... The amount of like layering he had on the tank. Yeah, he oh, sorry ma- the bulldozer. So in terms of like how he saw, he mounted several video cameras and monitors uh, to see. So like, it's it's actually kind of wild to see because like this is 2004. So he's got mm-hmm. these CRTs like mounted in a circle around his like cockpit. Okay. And then on the outside, there's like literally just like video cameras that he's got hooked to them, and then he mounted those. Um, yeah, like design was actually pretty clever because the cameras were, were encased in like metal boxes with with uh, with a deep well to the lens, and then the lens was filled up with basically bulletproof glass. Like it was three inch of bulletproof Lexan, and so it was just like this huge huge lens at the at the back of this deep pit. So like even hitting the lens would require a hell of a shot. Okay. And then he put compressed air nozzles by them, so when they got dusty, he could blow them off from the inside, so he could still see. That's actually really smart. Yeah. That's, so I'm I'm upset that I find that smart. And then he, you know, most damning of all, he made a he made three ports on, on one on the front, one on each side, okay. where he mounted guns. The one was a 50 caliber rifle, one was a 308 caliber rifle, and the other one, Wikipedia says a 22, but I looked into it. It was a 223. Okay. Now for what for perspectives, the 223 is the smallest of these. 223 is what the AR-15 fires, so like the the standard assault rifle everyone talks about. The one that's in like all the movies and in like Halo and stuff. Not yeah. Halo, well, it, well, it's yeah, it's in video games. It's it's Call of Duty. it's your like most militaries have have something similar as their standard issue rifle. Mm-hmm. So it's it's like your standard rifle. It's it's not a heavy round. It's a pretty small one, but like that's that's the smallest one. Okay. Uh, the 308 is like a large caliber hunting round. It's what you'd use to take out moose or bear. Okay, yeah. And then the 50 caliber is the biggest. It's an it's what would be considered an antimaterial rifle. This is what the military uses to like punch holes through cars and stuff like that. Oh my god. So he literally had a gun for each perceived threat that could Well, be he, in his way. I think it was more he had one in each direction. Yeah. So, I don't think it was so much he was like selecting his guns based on like how big they are. He just wanted the biggest guns he had pointed out these ports so he could shoot in every direction. Oh, I don't think that I, I don't think that he thought that way either because I think that if he was going to do that, he would have just went for three of the, the big guns. Yeah. So, but, like, there were gun ports in there. So, like, the mm-hmm. whole, 
right, right there, that kind of kills the argument that he wasn't trying to hurt anyone. Yeah, because he has three fucking guns. Yeah. His first target was obviously a concrete plant, which is right next door. Right. Uh, once, once, it began, once his attack began, Cody Dochep attempted to stop him using a front-end loader, so like another, another big, big heavy-duty machine, uh, to block his path. But he backed off after Heemeyer shot at him. So, so yeah, not trying to hurt anybody, but he he shot at somebody. Yeah, so a little bit of devil's advocate here. I, I did see some anecdotes that Dochep also armed himself before going to this confrontation, but that's not also entirely unreasonable given that, like, gosh, trying to, like, knock down his concrete plant with a tank. Yeah, and also it's got, like, two feet of protections around it. Yeah. So right, right there, right off the bat, Shot the first person tried to stop him, which yeah. someone he had beef with. Uh, like, didn't shoot him, shot at him. Yeah. Uh, by the time he reached town, uh, sheriff deputies were already on scene. Like, obviously, millions of people, like, not millions, but, like, everyone who saw this was calling 911. Yeah, of so course. I think they got something like 10 or 15 calls, like, within the first few minutes of the attack, because knocking out a concrete plant is not quiet. <laughs> yeah, and I also imagine that, like, a lot of people, because this is a town, would have been like, were they doing something with the concrete plant? No? Oh, this is bad. We should call the sheriff. Because yeah. everybody knows each other in a small town. Yeah. So sheriff deputies were on scene. Uh, he bulldozed over a police vehicle. Like, I guess one of them, like, got too close and he bulldozed over it. Uh, the police initially attempted to shoot out his cameras or get a shot through his gun ports, but they failed because those are... That would be a pretty damn hard shot. Right. Um, so, I'm so sorry. Side note, but when he, like, ran over a car, were the people inside okay? Oh, yeah. There's there no cops in the car. Okay. So, like, the, on- the only person who got hurt in this incident was him. Okay. So, like, you know, obviously he's trying to hurt people, but, like, no one else gets hurt. And that's, I think this is why he was hailed as kind of like a, um, a man pushed too far, because the fact he didn't hurt anyone, people kind of interpreted that as he didn't try to hurt anyone. But, like... No, I'm sorry. If you are, quote-unquote, pushed too far, and your response to that is to start bulldozing people and locations that have probably not even slighted you that's ridiculous like in a previous episode when we talked about the the man who like poured gasoline on his local business's rug that's something where i was like don't do that but i can see why you would do that this absolutely not there are no excuses yeah uh i'm gonna say something that is definitely not going to be common for this type of podcast because the police usually fuck this up real bad the police handled this pretty well given that like no one's given training on what happens if a tank just starts knocking things over yeah especially not in like a, a small town environment yeah so they're, they're, and this is part of the reason why why one of the police vehicles got run over mm-hmm. after they realized that they they did not have the hardware to, to even get a shot into this tank they resorted to basically escorting it so they were going ahead of it and evacuating people okay and this is how one of the cars got caught in its path and got got uh, uh run over uh, they use what's called a, a reverse 911 call to alert residents. Okay. So basically, 911 can do a thing where they can isolate all the phones in an area, and then 911 can make those phones ring, and they cannot call out until you pick up and talk to the 911 dispatcher, and they can be like, hey, you're in danger, get out of there. Oh, that's honestly really interesting. I didn't know that. They don't use it very much because it, it's, it takes a lot of resources to do that mm-hmm. because like you're basically tying up the entire phone system and every 911 dispatcher while you do this, but... In this situation, it was a big enough danger and a small enough amount of residents. Mm-hmm. So, was th- this, this this also wouldn't have been at the time where emergency alerts were common because the phones back then 
didn't have the support for it. Oh, oh yeah, cell phones. So the cell phone emergency alerts are only like a new thing, like last like five, 10 years. Right. So emergency alerts would have just been over the radio or TV. Reverse 911 was the closest thing that they had to this. And I think it would have only worked on landlines, but at this time, most people still would have had a landline, so... Right, because, yeah, in, like, early 2004, or is this late 2004? This is June, so it's, like, mid-2004. In 2004, I very distinctly remember having a landline, like, phone in the kitchen. Well, I didn't get my first flip phone until 2007 or eight. I also didn't get my first flip phone until 2009. Yeah, so I feel like, you know, most people wouldn't even have cell phones at this time. Mm-hmm. But, uh, so, this is credited as, as one of the reasons why no one got hurt, because most of the places were evacuated before the dozer got there. That's amazing. That's a really good job. So, uh, a couple of times, officers were able to climb on top of the dozer, which, like, <laughs> balls on those guys. <laughs> like, they just run up to it, on their, they climbed on top. They were assuming that there was had to be some kind of, like, access hatch, and so they were trying to find it. Right. Uh, one attempted to shoot through vents to either hit the driver or the engines, basically just like, well, here's some holes, I'm going to shoot through them and hope for the best. Okay. Uh, at one point, they dropped a flashbang through the exhaust vent and attempted to disable the engine, mm-hmm. which may have actually worked. Like, the it didn't stop the dozer, but it did damage it a bit. Um, the police had to get off the dozer, though, because as he crushed their buildings, obviously, they were going to get hit with stuff. Yeah. The police also borrowed a bunch of heavy machinery and attempted to block the dozer, but everything they could get their hands on was too light, and the dozer could just push them out of the way. Okay. So, like, a bulldozer is designed to push things. Yeah. And it's heavy, and this one's armored, which makes it heavier. That's so, probably why he chose it as his uh, his attack vehicle. Yeah, so you'd have to have something pretty damn heavy to stop it in his tracks. Mm-hmm. So they tried, but they couldn't get anything heavier than the dozer, and he just pushed them out of the way. Uh, amongst his targets were a city hall, a former mayor's house, the owner of a local construction company's house, the local newspaper, and the businesses of people he perceived as enemies, including a local bank, a hardware store, and the electric company. Okay, so yeah, literally anybody that he perceived as having slighted him, even a little bit. Yeah. It was like, you are enemy numero uno. And one thing that is anecdotal, I, I was never able to confirm this, but he did knock down a whole bunch, like, you know, like the along sidewalks in towns that have beautified, they'll put like trees in the sidewalk. Mm-hmm. Apparently he knocked all of those down. And the rumor I heard, but I was never able to confirm, so this might just be a hearsay, hearsay, is that one of his friends had a restaurant there who was, like, also kind of nuts and thought that, like, the trees were making people couldn't see his restaurant and were hurting his business. And so he was, like, helping him out by knocking down these trees or something. That's not how that works. Yeah, so it it might be bullshit, but, like, it's funny enough that I thought I'd mention it, because if it's true, that's funny as hell. So people claim he wasn't trying to hurt anyone. But when he demolished the newspaper's office, there were still employees inside of it mm-hmm. who fled the building as it came down. Uh, the former mayor whose house was demolished had already died years ago. The okay. only person in his house was his widow. Oh, And she, she was evacuated. Good. She wasn't in it. Um, I'm glad. Uh, the other the house he had demolished had an 82-year-old woman on a home alone, uh, was evacuated just before he got there. I guess she didn't pick up the phone, and one of the cops like went to, her, to the house and got oh her. Oh, my God. Well, I'm glad that they like thought of her instead of assuming that she wasn't home yeah that's what i mean by the, the cops did a good job here because once they realized that they couldn't stop him yeah they they pretty much focused their entire efforts and like having personal experience with this i find a lot of guys get hyper focused on like the most obvious thing the threat the the right and so you get you like you see this all the time in video in fight videos where like there's there's one guy fighting 
you get two, three cops over there. That's probably enough to deal with it. And then five more show up. Mm-hmm. Whereas like the other five could be doing crowd control or like finding victims or right. something else. Making but, sure that people are okay, that they're in, out of harm's way. Yeah. So they did a good job here. Once they realized that, that they weren't going to directly stop this, they focused on like protecting people first and foremost. Okay. So again, not going to hear very often this podcast. <laughs> no. Good job to the cops on this one. Yeah. Usually police... Not that effective, but in this case, I think that they did a good job. Yeah. Uh, he also stopped and took shots at propane tanks and electrical transformers, which... are They could explode. Yeah, that's probably why he was doing it. Because, yeah. Because he would be protected. He's in a tank. Yeah. So you really can't argue, again, that he wasn't trying to hurt people. Because even if he wasn't directly aiming towards people, he was running over buildings that had people in them. And he was trying to shoot explosives. Also, he was aiming at people. So uh, he shot at, there's a few times the police tried to approach him and like right off the bat too, like they, uh, he started shooting at them. I think the only reason he didn't hit anyone is because he had an extremely limited range of movement. So I seen, um, I seen some pictures of the inside of the, of the killdozer. Right. So he had like these ports cut and they were like long and deep so that bullets couldn't come back through to him, right. but the bullets sticking out through them. He couldn't see through his scope through the ports. And so he was relying on the cameras to aim the guns. Which anyone who's ever aimed a gun before knows that, like, if your sights are off even, like, a millimeter, you can't hit shit. Well, exactly. So, it's all about um, the angle. Yeah, so having having a camera, like, like a foot away from your gun port is not very useful. And it also looks like he didn't have much side-to-side motion because of how he mounted them. Mm-hmm. So he probably could really only point them up or down, which meant that he would have to move the whole tank and also figure out, like, where he was pointing at through the camera, which isn't isn't very easy. Right. So I think the only reason he ever hit anyone is because he basically couldn't aim the guns. He basically just had to point the whole tank and fire and hope for the best. Right. And that also tells me that he didn't care if he hit anybody or not. He was going to shoot regardless. Yeah. So he, he shot the police for sure. And the other businesses were only likely empty due to the reverse 901. This was the middle of the day on Friday. Okay. So like this, this wasn't like after business hours. These businesses would have been occupied. Right. You know, this wasn't like a holiday where no one would be home. Like this, this was just a normal middle of the day on a weekday. Right. So and if they hadn't done the reverse nine one one, he was that was the path that he was taking. He could have killed people. Yeah, and of course, like because of the fact he's demolishing a town, it'd be pretty easy to know which direction not to go. Like, if you wanted to get away from him. Right. So. Like, I don't give him any credit for not killing anyone. I mm-hmm. I think at best he didn't care if he killed anyone. And most likely there was probably a few people he was out to kill. Right. Like Cody Docheff, who right. shot at immediately. Right, exactly. Literally on site. Yeah. Eventually a dozer did take some damage from the, mol- the militia and started losing power. Uh, got his track stuck in a basement while demolishing a hardware store. So, like, it went and knocked over a hardware store. I guess this is, you know, this area doesn't typically have basements. Like, for those of you not from an area like we are in, most houses here have, like, an underground portion that is a full-size room that made of concrete mm-hmm. that's dug down first before you build it. That's how we build our foundations. And in a lot of places where they don't have, like, tornadoes, they don't have deep frost, like, their, the soil conditions are right, they just build the foundation right on the surface. Oh, okay. And so this is one of those areas. So basements were kind of rare, but this particular hardware store did have a business, and uh, this did have a basement. And when he bulldozed it, one of the tracks fell into the basement and he couldn't get it back out again. Okay. So that's what stopped the killdozer. Uh, it was losing power. They, uh, It's believed that either the demolition he was doing or the grenades they threw down his exhaust pipe mm-hmm. damaged his radiator and he was leaking coolant, so it was probably starting to overheat. 
But after this, a shot was heard and the dozer stopped completely. Yeah. It took SWAT team 12 hours with a torch to cut through the armor. Oh my god. Initially, they tried to use explosives. They, they tried to use, like, but not knowing how thick the armor was, they didn't make it, even a dent in it. Okay. So eventually, they just cut through uh, with a torch. And of course, they found Heemeyer dead of a self inflicted gunshot wound. Um, I just have a question. Like, did they never find, like, an entry port for a person? Like, did he oh, weld I, himself I, in? I guess I forgot to mention how he did this. So, he built the shell separate from the dozer okay. and had it on a crane. And then what he did is he sat in the dozer and lowered the shell onto it. So, the weight of the shell is what was keeping it on. Oh, And, of course, okay. the shell would weigh several tons. So, like... Right. So, he was never planning to come back out of here again. So, this was, like, a last act type of thing. Yeah, he had a pistol in the, the cab with him. So, obviously, he was expecting at some point to either be killed or, or shoot himself. Okay. The, before he started his rampage, he sent several audio recordings to his brother, which was like a couple of hours at least of recordings. Mm-hmm. Uh, in his recordings, he said he believed that God put him there to destroy the town. He, he said that's why he didn't have a wife or children. And that God, like he, the way he phrases it is not that he chose not to have a wife or children, but God kept him from having a wife and children <laughs> so that he wouldn't hesitate to do it. He also rants about a shooting that happened in a town a hundred years prior that, of course, no one in town would be involved with. Like, I couldn't find the actual audio recordings, but like, from what it sounds like, it sounds like most of it is, is him basically venting about all that this happened to him in the town because right. he did, he did feel personally slighted by the town. But then also this weird pseudo-religious ranting about like how the town is corrupt because of this shooting that happened 100 years ago and that he needs to purge it and that's what God put him there for. And This like, also sounds a little bit like incel vibes, being like, well, I wasn't given a wife. Yeah, pretty, pretty well. So the aftermath of this, like the town got a lot of scrutiny because of the fact that people were reporting on he mayor as like kind of a, an anti-hero type figure. The town was was just kind of inundated with like a lot of ignorance from from the media and people come to the town to like see the destruction right, and of course because oh, what are they called doom, doom tourists yeah so because of this the 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 police departments in the area actually when they dismantled those dozer they broke it down to as small pieces as possible and distributed the scrap between a bunch of scrapyards, not telling them where it was from. Well, yeah, so that no one could take souvenirs. Yeah, that's what they're trying to... They're trying to prevent souvenir taking or any kind of, like, hero worship or anything like that. Yeah. Um, there are some articles that, that blamed the death of his father on what, what precipitated this, and I'm going to put that to bed right now, because Hemeyer's father did die about three months before this incident happened. Okay. But he started construction on the Killdozer six months before incident happened so he was already building the killdozer when his dad died right so while it certainly didn't help he was already planning to do this right so and he also in the tapes stated that because of fact people had come into the shop while he was working on the killdozer and never questioned uh what was going on there he thought that god had blinded them uh to what was happening okay and Uh, not just that the average everyday person doesn't do the same mechanical work that he does, so they wouldn't know what they were looking well, at. Well, also, apparently, like, some of the townspeople said that, like, they did ask about it, mm-hmm. because, like, obviously in the early stages of it, it wasn't clear what this was. It was just a bunch of metal and welding and electronics and stuff. Right. He said that he had taken a contract building some custom machinery for some outfit, which, like, if you don't know what you're looking at, and, of course, most people wouldn't because no one's ever built one of these before. Right. You would be like, okay, you know, at least he's found some work. 
you wouldn't really question that too much. Yeah, this is just victim blaming at a mass scale. Also, the fact that people came to visit him in the shop, I think really like kills the whole thing that the town was against him because people came and visited him in the shop. And also like, he had money, so people were clearly paying for his services. Yeah. Like even if it was just on a professional level, he did have relationships. Plus the fact that he was calling his brother and felt comfortable or at least in a incorrect or wrong state of mind to tell him all this stuff does tell me that like he was in communication with his family. Yeah, and one thing I, I forgot to mention there is that during the rampage, because of the fact that the police had no power to stop him, and they they were actually planning to bring in the National Guard. Like, they were, they were waiting for approval because they need approval from the governor to bring in the National Guard. Right. And especially in the States, because of how their constitution works, mm-hmm. having military do police stuff is, like, a big no-no. Right, so is it, like, um, encroaching on, like, different jurisdictions of law and government well it's actually it's actually enshrined i don't know if it's in the constitution but it's one of the main founding documents that you can't use military for police action mm. now there's exceptions to this and i think this probably would have been an exception because like this is clearly out, outside what the police are able to deal with but it puts a wrench in that whole thing but the national guard was planned to like come in with a helicopter and and hit some some missiles because what else do you do? Grenades aren't doing anything to this thing, and that and grenades are the heaviest explosive that police would have had at this time. I guess. And should still have, like, they shouldn't have anything heavier than that, ever, but... I mean, honestly, the fact that they even have grenades, I'm a well, little Well, a, a grenade, they weren't grenades, they were flashbang grenades, which are a small explosive and will hurt you if you're too close to them, but, like, they're meant to blind and and, and deafen you temporarily. Oh, okay. The, their whole th- thinking is that, like, okay, if we shove them down the exhaust pipe, maybe it'll be close enough to damage the engine. Right. So they didn't have, like, grenade grenades. Oh, okay. But, yeah. It's marginally better, but still. But, yeah, so, like, the, the police didn't really have the explosives you would need to... Like, SWAT teams would have, like, breaching charges and stuff, but, again, that's those are made to knock through, like, normal wooden walls or, like, mm-hmm. normal concrete walls, not heavily armored, like, inch thick of steel and foot of concrete. Yeah. So I don't think those would have done... I, I think they did try to use breaching charges when, like, they were trying to get into the tank at the end, but I keep calling it tank... Tank people are going to get very weird about this because it's not a tank. Yeah, I mean, I wasn't going to correct you because I also forgot that it wasn't a tank. Because it sounds like a tank, so, but it's a bulldozer. So to to clarify for all the all the tankies out there, it doesn't have it doesn't have a cannon, it doesn't have a primary weapon, it doesn't have a turret, it doesn't it's not crew operated, it's not a tank. It, I guess it, it would technically be called a technical, which is when you take a civilian vehicle and use it for a military thing. It's like but, an armored vehicle. Yeah, basically. But, uh, yeah, they were going to bring in the National Guard, but they never ended up having to because obviously this happened first. Right. So that's Killdozer and why I think he's actually an asshole and not a, an antihero because he definitely was planning to hurt people or at the very least didn't care who he hurt. Right. And also just, like, based off of the reasoning given, like, it doesn't really make any sense because he was making a profit. He could have sold his business or the land that the business was on at any time. And when he didn't comply with the government mandates that were given to him, he got away with it for 10 years before they started being like, okay, you have to do this. And in the end, he ended up making a huge profit. Yeah, so like, I don't see what reason there could have been other than somebody who's just very egotistical, who has a grudge against anybody who like crosses him in any way whatsoever whether it's a legitimate crossing or not 
Like, if he perceives you to have slighted him, he's going to hold a grudge against you. And he responded to that with deadly force. Yeah, and, and I will say that, like, anyone who's dealt with small-town politics knows that small-town politics, even even if things are going your way, is very frustrating. And this man did not seem to deal with that well. So this is a case where instead of demolishing your town with a bulldozer that you've custom armored up and installed guns into, maybe the two people you need to talk to are a therapist and a lawyer. Oh, absolutely. I was just thinking therapy. Therapy might have helped at this point. I don't imagine it would have, like, cured him of anything. But, like, having somebody to listen to him and, like, offer him, like, coping skills or, like, try to help him navigate the circumstances that he's in in a more healthy way probably would have helped not would have helped avoid this situation and we wouldn't be talking about it today yeah and we're not gonna do an episode on this because it, it it's it's a much smaller incident well, i might do like a mini episode or something but around the same time there's also a dude who stole an actual tank from military base and like went on a joyride with it so like like the, the 2000s were wild with tank stuff i guess okay yeah so that's it for this episode. If you have any cool ideas for episodes, email us at letsdoacrime at gmail.com with no punctuation in the let's do a crime part. Yeah, and uh, if you are ever feeling upset or like people are against you and you're starting to feel a little peeved about it, talk to somebody, preferably a therapist, but even just someone that you trust. Let them know how you're feeling and maybe they can help you out as well. Not in doing the thing that you want to do, but in helping you calm down a little bit and maybe not feel so bad find a more constructive thing like yeah, develop a hobby like taking your four hundred thousand dollars and moving your business somewhere else yeah <laughs> <laughs> bye bye